There's a number of things that I suppose that I could tell you about who I am. But the one thing that I want to talk about this morning is that I have always been really interested and intrigued in the issue of being excellent. So professional sports is one of the things that I really am intrigued by because at that level, most of the talent level is pretty consistent across any league. But why are there some teams, the Cleveland Browns, (laughs) so notoriously awful and other teams, and I'm afraid to say, to utter these words, this is the name, this is like I'm, our Voldemort, the New England Patriots, the name which not, yeah. Why are they consistently excellent? Now, football aside, let me talk to you though just briefly about my Chicago Cubs. For years, they were known as the lovable losers. And many of us made annual pilgrimages to the shrine that is at Wrigley Field at Addison and Clark. I gotta tell you, even though it has been about a year and a half since they won the World Series, I can watch video clips on YouTube of, the, of Game 7, and I start crying all over again. Now. That's all I'll really mention about the Chicago Cubs, but, but I'm intrigued by what turned a culture of losing around to a culture of excellence. But it's not just in professional sports, it's in the business world as well. Why are there some businesses that are just excellent and some businesses that are just kind of mediocre, they have high turno- turnover of personnel, there's just, they're, they're there, but they're not excellent. I'm intrigued by people who are excellence. There are people that I have met over the years who just ooze excellence, and you want to be around them, hoping that some of that oozing, which in and of itself is a really disgusting word, but it, some of that oozing will just drip on you, and you will become excellent. Years ago, there was a book entitled Committed to Excellence. It was a best-selling book, and obviously this thing of excellence is interesting to people because it was a bestseller. What makes organizations excellent? Perhaps part of the reason why I'm so intrigued by this is because I see so much mediocrity, not only in all of these areas, but at times in my own life, where I am willing to settle that I am not willing to push myself to be excellent. Back when I was in college, there was a book that came out entitled Addicted to Mediocrity. The author of that was Frankie Schaefer, the son of the well-known Christian leader Francis Schaefer. Now the book in and of itself is, it's prickly. Frankie is known as kind of a prickly guy. But here's what he said about the Christian world. One could sum it up by saying that the modern Christian world and what is known as evangelicalism in general is marked in the area of the arts and cultural endeavor by one outstanding feature, and that is addiction to mediocrity. Wow. And he goes on to talk about all the Jesus junk. Now, I teach in the communication department, and specifically I oversee our radio station, 94.3, The Fortress. And one of the things that Christian radio, and I'm very well aware of this because of the fact that I have been involved in Christian radio most of my adult life, 
is that Christian music tends to imitate what we see in the rest of the world. So when the boy band craze was really popular, what did we have? We had a boy band. We could go on and on and on. And the question is, were they really committed to excellence or were they just simply more of that Jesus junk that existed out there? So I find myself thinking, why is there a tendency for us as followers of Jesus Christ to be so addicted to mediocrity? Well, for one thing, we will always make the argument that we need more resources. And I have said for years in some of my media production classes, it's pretty tough for churches to compete against multi-million dollar budgets that create the Hollywood blockbusters and the things that we see. I mean, some of us were just talking about the greatest showman. Yeah, which I'm already driving my wife crazy because I'm listening to the music all the time. Um, and, and wouldn't it be cool to go into a church like the opening scene in The Greatest Showman? You know, they're stomping in the pews and there's, everybody's clapping and there's, there's choreography and it's like, woo, yay, Jesus. But, but we don't have those kind of resources, and we could actually argue from a theological and philosophical standpoint that probably doesn't reflect Jesus the best. But nevertheless, we don't have the resources, and so sometimes we cut corners. I think another reason why we are addicted to mediocrity a lot of times is because, truth be told, I think we feel bad about ourselves. We do, we do way too much looking out there and comparing ourselves to the secular world, and we conclude, yeah, we can't compete with that, we're not as good, we suck. And so we don't strive to push ourselves because we, we, we just don't feel real good about ourselves. The life of Daniel in the Old Testament has always intrigued me. Because I think he is a great example of somebody who is committed to excellence, and I think that he has something to teach us this morning. So my main point this morning is that Daniel's commitment to excellence can be seen in his past, his present, and in his future. So Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we get right to the introduction of who Daniel is and reveals a little bit about his past. The king, who is Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylon, uh, Babylonians, ordered the chief of his court officials to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature from the, of the Babylonians. And out of that description, nobility, Young. Actually, scholars tell us that Daniel was probably around 15 or 16 years old when this occurred. So all of us are much older than Daniel was at this point. Had no physical problems. He was handsome. Had an aptitude for learning. He learned quickly. He was qualified. I suspect if he played football, he'd be like the quarterback. He'd be like Tom Brady. And again, I'm sorry to mention that name, but... He just stood out. So one of the things that we can learn about his past is he was of privilege. He came from the royal family. We're not exactly sure how he was connected, 
but he had nobility. He had a good background. And so one of the things that we have to come to grips with from time to time is there's all kinds of privilege. There's the privilege of being a student at Indiana Wesleyan University. There's the privilege of being an American. There is male privilege. There is white privilege. Generally, people react two different ways when we start going down this road of privilege. Nah, that's stupid. I'm not going to acknowledge it. And the other is, so what? I can't do anything about it. Now, one of the fascinating things to me as a communication person is how this whole concept of privilege has become such a hot-button item. In fact, my wife was asking me last night, you know, what I was talking about, and I mentioned this whole privilege thing, and she was like, Oh, stay away from that. No, the, the text tells us Daniel was of privilege, and the reality is we're here on a campus of higher education. That makes us a people of privilege. Now, years ago, uh, I was doing my PhD at the University of Pittsburgh, and I, uh, my, my PhD is in public policy, and one of the classes I took was a democratic theory class. I was with the political science people, and those of you who are political science people know that public policy and political science people don't really uh, connect. But I was there on a mission trip. And, um, and we, were discussing, we were discussing in great critique the role of the elites in our society. And we were being very critical. And finally, this one kid in the class looked at all of us. And it was, we were in a conference room. And he just looked at all of us and said, folks, aren't we all elites? And there was just this silence that went over the room. Nobody disagreed, but nobody wanted to say that we were. But the fact is, there is all kinds of privilege. Now notice, Daniel did not take that position of privilege as something that he held over people's head. Instead, he took advantage of it to become even better. As I was working through this over the weekend, I was thinking about why is it we have such a hard time dealing with this notion of privilege? I think part of it is, is because it speaks to our cultural, historical past, which has some pretty grave sins as a part of that, and we have a hard time admitting that. But one of the things I think we need to realize is being of privilege doesn't in and of itself make us bad people. What makes us bad is we, we use that privilege to put other people down. Or we use that privilege to ignore what it has done for us. You have lots of opportunities in front of you. You have classes and professors and so let me put a plug in for me and my fellow professors. We're, 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 we're human beings who have just learned a little bit more in life than you have that we could have some interesting things to say that would help you. Now, I know, good grief, I, I, I say to my students all the time, I, when you start looking at my undergraduate, master's degree, PhD, I think I have been in college, post-secondary education, longer than any of you are alive. So I feel fairly comfortable in critiquing how we as students tend to be. We tend to be rather pragmatic. 
It's like, just tell me what I need to do to pass, right? And trust me, I have done that. But take advantage of your professors. I think in, this is my 10th year here at Indiana Wesleyan. I think there's only one time I can remember that a student, brand new student, never had had them in class before, sent me an email and said, hey, I would like to get to know you better. Let's have coffee. Now, uh, one of the other things you ought to know about me is I drink lots of coffee. So I'm easy. Buy me coffee and I will probably do just about anything. <laughs> eh, that's probably not entirely true, but sounds good. There are campus organizations you could take advantage of. There are service opportunities you can take advantage of. Are you taking advantage of all of the opportunities, all of the privilege that you have here, or are you playing video games? All right, so I had to go there, right? I sound like an old man now at this point. Eh, young kids playing video games. But I honestly, I, 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 every once in a while, there'll be some kind of media production done for one of my classes, and then I, I, I gain insight into the life of students because often some of these videos will take place in the dorm rooms, and it's like, oh, they got an HD TV. I didn't have an HD TV. Of course, they weren't invented back when I was in college. But, uh, 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 you know, I... I, I, I talk to enough students. I mean, there's a lot of distractions. So it may not be video games, but what are you doing with this privilege and the opportunities that are facing you that you have right on your doorstep? Now, Daniel was of privilege, but let's not forget the context of what's happening. He was a prisoner of war. He had been carried off from his homeland. And so the question is, why was Nebuchadnezzar taking this group of war prisoners and training them? Well, it is thought that there are possibly three things. Uh, it could keep the Israeli royal family in check, knowing that their sons were being, were in the palace. It was a reminder of the conquest every day, every day. And then there's the hope that they would serve Nebuchadnezzar well in the future. So let's not mistake that everything was rosy for Daniel because it wasn't. He was a prisoner. Difficulty, there is no question, can make us stronger. But, but we tend to view failure as a threat to excellence. History is full of people who have strived to do great things and have failed, learned from the failure, and then gone on to be excellent. I attended, when I was in college, Moody Bible Institute, and in my senior year, I, I became an RA. Now, in my mind, that meant I had arrived because, like, I was, you know, one of the people. I don't know why I thought that, but I did. Up until my senior year, I was a fairly decent student. I think for the most part, my GPA every semester was around 3, 3.1. But that first semester that I was an RA, I had a GPA of 1.7. I got a C in every class except for one. I got a D in that. And the good news is I was failing everything at midterm point, so I pulled it up. Consequently... There was a standard that RAs had to have a certain GPA, and I got fired. And not only did I get fired, I got moved to a different floor. 
I was embarrassed to pieces. I was embarrassed to pieces and absolutely crushed. And I remember very clearly the night that I moved all my stuff from the fifth floor up to the 17th floor, I got into that room and I closed the door and I sat down on my bed and I just sobbed. Because I had failed miserably. Up until that point, I knew I could pull it off. I could procrastinate. And I was a good enough student. I knew how to play the game. I could, I could nail it. And one of the things I look back now, 30, almost 40 years later, and say, thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to fail. Because it taught me that I could that I could fail, that I wasn't that good, that I had to work harder than what I thought I had to work. And so every once in a while I reflect back on that and I say, and it's always a reminder, just because I have certain abilities doesn't mean I'm going to do it well. And so Daniel, in his past, was not complacent with where he was and strove for excellence. In his present... One of the things we see in verse 8 of Daniel 1, uh, well, back up, one of the things that was going to happen is he was going to get educated and he was going to eat food and drink from the king's table. And in verse 8, Daniel says, he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Well, we read later as God blessed Daniel and he found favor with those folks that were over him, and then he negotiated with them. And I'll get more of that in, in just a minute. One of the things we see from Daniel's present that was excellent is that he engaged the culture. He was connected to culture in his willingness to be educated in language and literature. Now, I suspect some of my colleagues in MLL, the Modern Languages and Literature Division, know and could tell stories of the literature they wanted students to read and students reacting negatively because maybe there was a bad word in there or there was sex, the really bad stuff that we as Christians don't want to acknowledge that we pay attention to. Notice what Daniel is doing. He engaged with the language and with the literature. He studied it and he did really well with it. Now, the food and drink was a little bit of a different issue, but he didn't do like so many times what Christians do, which is we make everything very black and white. And, 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 and he didn't do that. He cut a deal, more or less. And he said, look, let us eat what we want to eat for 10 days. And after 10 days, if we don't look equal or better than these other folks who are eating that normal food, then we'll, we'll go back on it. But give us a chance. And so God showed favor. So he disconnected from the culture in an area that was incredibly important to him as a faithful Jew. He had the strength to say both to himself and to those in charge, there is a better way, let me try it. He additionally didn't do this on his own. He had friends that he brought along with him. Now later in the book of Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they get their own little thing in the fiery furnace and all that. Um, they get their own test, but they were with Daniel. He was not alone. 
And one of the things that we need to learn as followers of Jesus Christ is discernment as we engage our culture. You and I both know that there are very few things in this world that are just so black and white. Now, years ago when I was living in the city of Chicago and was real involved in urban ministry, I remember talking to a guy uh, who was real involved in urban ministry and he said, you know, one of the nice things about urban ministry is uh, it's not like the suburbs and other areas where there can be kind of shades of gray on a lot of things. In the city, because people's addictions and behaviors are so bad, we can tend to be very black and white. So we say to the alcoholic, when you're walking down the street and there's a liquor store on the right, don't walk right by that liquor store. Go all the way across the other. Go around a block. Take longer. Don't even get close to the liquor store. And that's the nature of you're an alcoholic. That's just one of those things that you have to do. But for the majority of us, there tend to be shades of gray with the way we engage the culture, but we've got to do a better job of discerning how to engage that culture. Now, I don't have time this morning to do that, but if you really want to learn how, I'm going to put a plug in for one of my classes. Media and society is all about how to engage the culture as we become more media literate. But one of the examples that I will give to you this morning on where we sometimes just don't engage the culture at all is in the area of consumption. We, for the most part, have bought into the idea that we are consumers. I don't know about you, but I am more than just a consumer of stuff. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm created in the image of God. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm an employee. I am not just a consumer. In my field, media, along with advertising, we tend to narrow the human experience into consumption, and we all just kind of like, oh, <laughs> okay. So speaking of sports, this to me is one of the most incredible ones. Sports jerseys cost minimum a hundred bucks and we buy them like crazy and what we're really doing is we're advertising for that team now part of it is we're also trying to say to people hey I'm in this group I'm in this group and so one of the best Christmas gifts I got this year for Christmas was a Cubs sweatshirt and yet I am paying to advertise for them and even though I hear good thing about the Ricketts family who owns the Cubs they don't know me never sent me a check and we all, I don't care if it's sports apparel, it could be in the Nike swoosh, it could be whatever the logo is, we just mindlessly consume and allow ourselves to be treated as, as consumers. We need to be discerning. So in his present, what we can learn from Daniel is that he engaged the culture and he did it in an excellent manner. In his future, now this is kind of a weird way to look at it because he's all in the past, as we go through the book of Daniel, we can see that in his future, he continued to be faithful to God. He had success. He was favored throughout the Babylonian Empire and into the Persian Empire. He was an outstanding person. Obviously, we can't predict our future, which is a good thing, I think, that we can't really predict our future because it would probably scare the crap out of us and we'd curl up in a little ball in and, and, and the fetal position and whimper. So we really can't predict that, but all we can do is to be faithful to what God has called us to at the moment. That's all we can do. And so 
God, from what I can tell from this position, has called you to be a student at Indiana Wesleyan. And I know that for some of you, you agonize a little bit about that. And I remember very clearly the, between my freshman and sophomore year in college, I really agonized over whether I was at the right place. And I won't go down the road of all the details, but God confirmed to me that it was the right place. But I wasted a lot of energy fussing about, oh, is this the right place? Is this the right place? Rather than just being faithful. Okay, look, I'm here. So you are here. You've selected a major. You're in classes. You're here. Quit whining about it and just be faithful to what God has called you to do. So are you being excellent in that faithful calling? Are you doing what you need to do as a student? Now, you know, some of you are going to sit here and think, well, you're, you're a professor, so obviously this becomes a self-serving kind of message. Yeah, yeah, it does. I want you to be excellent because it makes my job easier. And not even easier, it's a joy. I take no joy in reading and grading bad work. I take no joy in it. I agonize. It's the worst part of my job. And students who do really good work, it is pure joy. And I, I don't always do this as much as I should, but at the end of some, some, many semesters, I will thank students who have done good work because it's just, it is a joy. Now, I get it. There are varying levels of abilities, and some people are good at some things, and that some people aren't good at other things. My youngest son was a student here. He was a, a music ed major. He's a percussionist. He, from a young age, was really good as a percussionist, but man, he couldn't do math. Oh my gosh. I mean, uh, uh, one of the things I'm glad that never happened is that nobody audio taped or videotaped our uh, kitchen tutoring sessions because um, it, 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 it got ugly really quickly. It's like, okay, Tim, do you see? Do, 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 do. Yes, I get that. All right, now you do it. And then he couldn't do it. And, 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 and uh, I, I'm not a real patient person. And so I tend to get a little excited. So it went from like, uh, why don't you see this? You know, and it was, and then my wife would have to intervene. Um, I don't know why math was such, I mean, those of you that know percussionists, it's like they do these crazy things like, you know, 8 and 10 and 12 on a hand, and they don't even count. They just go, I have to count. (laughs) Counting seems to me to be math. Some of us are really gifted in some areas, and others of us are not so gifted. That doesn't mean we don't work at getting better. And then being okay with whatever kind of grade or results that we get. Here's the bottom line. Our motivation for excellence is really the key here. Many of those that I talked about at the very beginning of this who are excellent do it out of competition to be the best. Businesses do it to make money. We ought to do it because we serve God. And that's it. We serve him and we do our absolute best and strive to be excellent. And it's often in the small little details. There was a song that I sang in Sunday school way back in the day, and I don't know if any of you ever uh, sang it, called Dare to Be a Daniel, 
which, which now that I look back on it, it's like really a cheesy uh, little, the title and everything, dare to, I mean, I, I'm not even going to sing it, that would, that would be awful, but let me read, let me read the words of the, of the refrain, because I think it applies really well to what we see in the life of Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. The question for you and for me this morning is, are you willing to be a Daniel? Are you willing to stand alone, you know, when other, your friends are watching Netflix or whatever, and you're like, no, i got to study for this test. i got to go get help in becoming a better writer. Or I need tutoring in math. Are you willing to be that person that strives for excellence in every aspect of your life, to be faithful to what God has called you to do. Let me close this with a word of prayer. Lord, we sang earlier today that you are good, and indeed you are. And so many times, I don't, by the way I live, acknowledge your goodness in my life. I allow things to be mediocre. I don't work hard. I don't strive to be better. Thank you for the life of Daniel, who in the midst of difficult circumstances decided to be better, decided to work harder, all out of his commitment to you. So, Lord, as we go throughout this day, we ask that we go in your peace and in your strength, and may we be graceful, gracious people striving for excellence. In Jesus' name, amen.